Number three, who I am is what others think of me. Who I am is what others think of me. <clears throat> Throughout life, we are bombarded by ego messages attempting to convince us that our worth comes from the observations and opinions of others. Once again, this false self proclaims as truth that something or someone external to us is responsible for our validation. And again, it's necessary to remind ourselves who we really are. We are divine pieces of the whole, individualized expressions of God created out of the great void. Our authentic self is the same as that which it came from. <clears throat> our connection to our divine self remains healthy and strong as long as we recognize and repudiate, repudiate the false idea that validation of our self-esteem is external to our being. Unfortunately, it's true that we are taught from an early age to believe the opinions of others more than our own opinions of ourselves. Hmm. Our parents, siblings, friends, and teachers, in some cases, everyone in our young lives are held in higher esteem than we are. We are convinced that if anyone in those groups disapproves us, disapproves of us, we should respect his or her viewpoint over our own. This immersion in the first teaching of the ego gradually erodes our sense of worth, causing us to doubt our divinity. <clears throat> Self-esteem stems from internally held positive beliefs about ourselves, not from the approval of others. Let me repeat, self-esteem stems from internally held positive beliefs about ourselves, not from the approval of others. Ego's worldly, ego's worldly survival guide dictates that we are physical beings without a core spirituality. It pursues the false idea that our value is determined by what others choose to think about us. If we truly know who we are, we can ignore those ego messages and simply regard the opinions of our fellow humans for what they are, simply their opinions. Unfortunately, ego tries, more often than not, quite successfully, to word to ward off our awareness of our spiritual nature. Unaware of its influence, we spend a lot of time trying to win the approval of everyone we meet. 
when we don't receive that approval, we begin to internalize those external assessments and expand large chunks of our life trying to be what we think someone else wants us to be. Trying to be what we think someone else wants us to be. Believing that who we are is defined by what other people think of us cripples the joyful spontaneity of our authentic slaves, authentic selves. If others disapprove and their opinion defines us, then we modify ourselves or shrink from view. Our image of ourselves is located in them, and then they reject us. We no longer are at all. The ego's way of dealing with this dilemma is to adapt to everyone else's opinions. If they think we are stupid, we attempt to convince them to think otherwise by trying to be the person they want us to be. We cease to exist except as a reflection of what others think. The fact is that who you are has absolutely nothing to do with any thoughts or opinions that exist in anyone else in this world, period. The person whose approval you desperately sought could change his mind tomorrow. And instead of thinking that you are intelligent, talented, and beautiful, might decide you are a foolish dolt who's unappealing to be around. If you listen to your authentic self, you'll be completely unaffected by such judgments. However, if your false self dominates your thinking, you'll be miserably affected. This is how ego lures. This is how ego lures you into disregarding your authentic self. When approval-seeking is the guiding principle of life, it's virtually impossible to achieve a loving reflection to achieve a loving relationship with another human being, we can't give away what we don't have. We can't give love and respect to others when we have to find it for ourselves in the judgments of others. Ego contributes to a constant state of fear, confusion, and unhappiness. So, what does all of this approval-seeking and low self-esteem have to do with ambition? The short answer is that we are taught to pursue the approval and validation of virtually everyone in positions of authority throughout our life with as much ambition and as possible. Ambition almost always means putting our own life and opinions in the background. We learn to please 
parents, teachers, professors, authority figures, and bosses. And how is this accomplished? By ranking their opinions above our own. This is a process that's performed day in, day out, month in, month out, and year in and year out, often on a subconscious level. The result is an ego based for self. When we give more credence, when we give more credence to the opinions of others than to our own self assessments, we deny the very wisdom that created us. The more we integrate, the more we integrate. The more we integrate, in, integrate, the more we integrate these egoistic beliefs, the more we tend to believe in our own self-importance. Our drive to accumulate and achieve ultimately causes us to forget that our intrinsic value is our connection to our spiritual self. In other words, our connection to our source of being becomes obscured in favor of pleasing egos' ideas that we are what other people's egos think of us. This has been a significant lesson for me to learn over the years. When I speak or write, I encounter opinions that vary from my own. I know that if I speak to a thousand people, there will be a thousand separate opinions of me in that audience. My reputation isn't located in me, it's in the people who read and listen to what I have to say. Consequently, I've learned not to be concerned about my reputation. Since it isn't located in me, I put my attention on my own character instead of how others view me. My primary relationship in life is to my source of being, to God, if you will. Do not imagine that anyone can have true faith in God who has not faith in himself. Do not imagine. That anyone can have true faith in God who has not faith in himself is a saying from Paramananda which strongly resonates with me. If I choose to give up faith in myself by listening to the entreaties, entreaties of my ego. Then I cannot have faith in my source of being. They are always interwinded, interwinded. These first three components of ego who am I, who I am, is what I have, what I do, and what others think of me. Focus on its desire to build up our belief. That this universe is all about us, as well as that we are 
we are graded according to how much stuff we accumulate, how much we accomplish, and how many merit badges we manage to secure. Merit badge, merit badges. We manage to secure. That is our acquisitions, achievements, and reputations are of primary significance. The next three components of our ego portfolio are organized around the desire to stand out as original, unique, and different from everyone and everything else in the universe. Number four. I am separate from everyone else. <clears throat> in the ego sense, ambition wants us to believe that we are the only one who matters. If we are well indoctrinated in this ego belief, it's very difficult to consider the idea of Earth existing without us, or of Earth having a reason to be here in the first place. The key word in these final three components of Iwo's inventory is separation. If we believe that we are separate and distinct from everyone else, we fulfill the four selves program. But recall that we emerged from non-being characterized by oneness. Allow this statement by Thomas Merton to settle within you. We are already one, but we imagine that we are not. And what we have to recover is our original unity. Merton's words have the ring of truth, and they deny ego's in insistence insistent edict of separation. Ego's insistent edict of separation. Ego insists on separation because that's how it undermines allegiance to the authentic self. When we recognize and respect our connectedness to each other, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the sun we rely on, and most significantly, the invisible source we are, we are animated by, the ego can return to its rightful space. Ramana Maharshi's contention that there are no others is deliciously thought is deliciously thought-provoking and for me essentially puts ego completely out of business there are no others i like it ego survives and thrives on the basis of our belief in our separation from others Separation serves as a motivation factor in our journey of ambition in that it gets us to exercise our comparison mentality with thoughts such as 
I'm a prettier, smarter, more talented, a better performer, and on and on. With this attitude firmly entrenched, we pursue the business of proving our superiority in relations to others. If we are aware that there is no separation, no others, we don't need to prove our superiority. Superiority, superiority. Superiority, superiority, superiority. Yeah. By contrast, when our connectedness to others dominates our beliefs, we don't need to defeat anyone, fight for what we identify as our rights, wage war, take advantage of others, or continually try to be someone we think of as a winner. Instead, seeing seeing the unfolding of God in everyone means that there is no conflict, since we see ourselves in others. We understand the wisdom in this observation. When you judge other people, you do not define them; rather, you define yourself as someone who needs to judge. When you judge other people. You do not define them; rather, you define yourself as someone who needs to judge. We are unable to grasp the idea of enemy, and consequently, unable to participate in killing or waging war on any member of humankind, as the Native Americans love to say. No tree has branches so foolish as to fight among themselves. No tree has branches so foolish as to fight among、uh, themselves. Studying the history of humanity reveals that we've been at war with each of the branches on the same tree for more than ninety percent of recorded history. This is the result of ego convincing us that we are separate and need to fight, control, and van- vanquish, van- vanquish others who live across the river, speak a different language, practice a different religion, or have different cultural attitudes. Compet- competitiveness, fighting, rip-offs. Hatred and conflicts of all descriptions seems all descriptions stem from the false self the ego creates when we allow it to convince us that we must preserve the millions the illusions of our separateness. When we allow it to convince us that we must preserve the illusions. We must preserve the illusion of our separateness. Ambition is so often a drive to excel by judging ourselves as superior to them. The reality is, there are us in disguise as them. Instead of noticing our oneness, 
we focus on the differences that ego perpetrates, perpetrates <clears throat> as Lao Tzu relates in the in the Tao Te Ching, there is no greater loss than feeling. There is no greater loss than feelings. I have an enemy. For when I am, I and enemy coexist, my treasure becomes obscured. There is no greater loss than feeling I have an enemy. For when I and enemy coexist, my treasure becomes obscured. The treasure is the universal unifying force that is in all things, the all-knowing Tao. Regarding the ego's need to believe in separateness, the Upanishads say, when to a man who understands the self has become all things, what sorrow, what trouble can there be to him who once beheld that unity? This is illustrated in the film The Shift. The businessman Chad is such a believer in his separateness that he runs his company with no concern for its impact on others or the environment. Toward the end of the film, however, he begins to notice the spirit in which Joe, the owner of the resort, Chad and his wife are staying in, serves others. As Chad writes a sizable, as Chad writes a sizable, sizable check to donate to the charity House of Promise and Hope, his smile tells us that he's recognized there is more to life than making money at the expense of others. Number five. I am separate from what's missing in my life. An ancient tale relates the story for a young boy who lived in a small village. This boy had qualities of an avatar and people were healed by being in his presence. Many villagers spoke of his ability to bilocate to be seen in two different places at precisely the same instant. His countenance was peaceful. His countenance was peaceful and he radiates tranquility. The elders of the tribe besieged this young avatar to tell them the secret of God and the universe. One of them pleaded, one of them pleaded, I will give you an orange if you will tell me where God is. The young saint responded without hesitation, I'll give you two oranges right now if you can tell me where God isn't.
The young saint responded without hesitation. I'll give you two oranges right now if you can tell me where God isn't. Hmm. The fifth component of ego, our false self, refuses to believe that there is no place that God is not. God is the word I use here in reference to the creative source responsible for all of creation. Ego has a vested interest in our believing that there are things missing in our life. It insists that we are not connected to the invisible creative source because it gets its identifying identity. It gets its identity by edging God out. If we start believing that we are permanently attached to God, ego's reason for existence disappears. Ego's reason for existence disappears. If there is no place that God is not, then God is in each of us, as well as in everything that our senses interpret as missing from our life. This means that in some invisible manner, we are connected to everything we perceive to be missing. The question might be the question might then be how do we manifest the things we desire that appear to be unavailable? The question might then be how do we manifest the things we desire that appear to be unavailable? The answer is to realign ourselves in a way that allows what we seek to spiritually harmonize with us. But the ego wants us to strive, set goals, believe in shortages, compete with all of the other individuals who are also searching for the same missing stuff, even fight for it and ultimately emerge as emerge a discontent emerge a discontent searcher why discontent because ego's method doesn't permit arriving in the sense of living peacefully and content contentedly in the precious present moment contentedly peacefully and contentedly in the precious present moment. Ego's method is to be ambitious in the sense of searching, striving, and always desiring more. Ego utilizes its strength to encourage us to maintain the status of being an ambitious person. Ego defines ambitions as striving to, the, to be better than everyone else. Ego defines ambition as striving to be better than everyone else, winning at all costs, accumulating more stuff, and being seen by others as brilliantly successful. Obviously, ego needs us to reject any idea of being con connected in oneness to all that exists in the world. We must instead prove our alignment 
with ambition by having lofty goals and objectives. The bigger the goals, the more status we acquire as ambitious men and women. The bigger the goals, the more status we acquire as ambitious men and women. And the more we believe that our goals and plans must be big, the more we the more we are aware of what's missing. Ego shouts, who you are is insufficient. Can't you see that you don't have enough stuff? Your means for acquiring all of the stuff, you need to prove your worthiness is in short supply. If you don't go after it, someone else will get there first. Then you'll have to compete with them for the limited amount that's out there. These messages keep us from living our life from our authentic self's perspective. One real self knows, our real self knows that we don't need one more thing in order to be worthy, and that believing we do need anything else in order to be happy could be a definition of insanity. It also knows that there are no shortages in this universe. It also knows that there are no shortages in this universe, but ego is terrified of our belief that abundance and contentment are readily available. Ego needs us to be convinced that ambition is a healthy way to assuage our discontent with all the things that are missing in our life. But we'll never completely erase that discontent. Ambition in this ego sense can mean, can mean spending a lifetime striving to get someplace else, which will almost which will almost ins- instantly need to be upgraded to something else that's missing. This rat race continues, energized by the idea that there is never enough. This rat race continues, energized by the idea that there is never enough. However, We have the power to eliminate ego's insane ideology of striving and instead live in a state of contentment. In the process, the connectedness to everyone and everything will be clarified. To everyone and everything will be clarified. Rather than strive for what we perceive to be missing, and then be able to find contentment, we can relax in harmony with our source of being, then there is no need to edge God out. Since we are resisting, since we are resting in oneness, there is no need for that troublesome ego. It feels to me like logic would then dictate the following.
<coughs> God, spirit or Tao, is everywhere. Therefore, God is in me. God is in everything I perceive to be missing. Conclusion. I am connected by spirit to everything I view as missing. Everything I view as missing. Suggested action. Align with spirit and see that what appeared to be missing begins to show up. The naturalist John Muir described this phenomenon like this. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it, we find it hitched, hitched to everything else in the universe. When we try to pick out something by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. We simply need to pay attention to this fundamental truth and ignore ego's insistence that we must strive hard to get what we want. Number six, I am separate from God. In this sixth component, the ego acronym continues to effectively describe our actions of edging God out. By believing that we are not the same as what we come from, the God essence and our worldly self remains ensconced, ensconced in distinct and separate compartments. Ego is terrified that we will believe we are a piece of God. Its leadership position is doomed <laughs> if we truly realize our godness. Naturally, one of ego's primary functions is to keep us believing that we are two very distinct and separate entities. The collective consciousness of humanity painfully and unnecessarily influences us by believing in and believing like an ego-designed God. A few, of the the, a few of the attributes craves opulence, promotes killing and warfare in its name, accepts indulgences, indulgences for special favor, punishes bad behavior, and needs to be avenged. These and many other attitudes illustrates a God created by illusions of the collective ego. <clears throat> Throughout history, this ego-designed human-made creator has been characterized as separate from us. Who among us hasn't heard of God portrayed as a white dead male with a long flowering breath, a long flowering beard floating around the heavens with supernatural powers watching over us like a cosmic baby be, bellboy? 
who will answer our prayers sometimes, depending on his whims and whether we've obeyed his rules. Throughout history, this ego designed human made creator has been characterized as separate from us. Who among us hasn't heard of God portrayed, portrayed as a white dead male <clears throat> with a long flowing beard floating around the heavens with supernatural powers watching over us like a cosmic bellboy who will answer our prayers sometimes depending on his whims and whether we've obeyed his rules. This entity is viewed not as an all giving divine source, but rather as a temperamental, but rather as a temperamental superpower who, 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 who withholds his ability to solve our problems or heals our dis- diseases depending on whether is in the mood or grant us special dispensation. <clears throat> this is a creator of the ego, invented by ego and dedicated to serving ego's demands. This is a creator who must, by virtue of its own ego, be separate from the subject it must watch over, control, and punish when necessary. What does it take to shift out of this detrimental belief system? Certainly, scorching the ego, as Ramana Maharaj suggests in the quote that opens his chap- that opens this chapter, is symbolically appealing. In the film, the shift, I suggest thinking of our relationship to God, or the great Tao by imagining the ocean as symbolic of God and ourselves symbolized by a small glass of water from the ocean. If asked what's in the glass, we'd say a glass of God. It's not as big or strong, but it's a glass of God. If we empty the glass of water on the sidewalk, we'd see it disappear as it evaporated as it as it vaporized ultimately it would return to its source while the ocean water is in the glass separate from its source it lacks the power of the ocean but when it rejoins its source it is once again part of the powerful ocean. That water on the sidewalk having lots, having lost its connection to its source is a symbol of ego. <clears throat> In the second half of this book, we'll discover how to maintain our connection to source and our authentic self in form in this world. We will learn how to shift from the ambition of ego and its inevitable evaporation of power 
through the oneness of joyous meaning. From the ambition of ego and its inevitable evaporation of power to the oneness of joyous meaning, where we realize that we are so much more than our positions, accomplishments, reputations. The shift to meaning eliminates our feelings of separateness and illuminates our spiritual. Connectedness.